0: Welcome to Shop Talk Live, Fine Woodworking Magazine's bi-weekly podcast. I'm your host and fine woodworking editor, Tom McKenna. And with me this episode, our special projects editor, Matt Kenny, Hello, everyone. And Ben Strano, our web producer. Hello. And manning the cameras, as always, is Jeff Rose. Uh, Mike is not in the house this week. Before we get started, I need to take care of some business. This episode of Shop Talk Live is brought to you by the Titebond Quick and Thick Multi-Surface Glue, the thickest, fastest-drying water-based glue available. In fact, it's two times faster and three times thicker than traditional PVA glues. Titebond Quick and Thick can be used with porous and semi-porous materials, Provides a strong initial tack and allows for realignment of working pieces. Visit tightbond.com quick and thick to learn more. We yeah. can move on. And uh, we, this is uh, kind of a momentous occasion. Uh, I have, have earth shattering news uh, to break. Uh, oh.
1: Oh, you can we're talk all, about it. We're all getting <laughs> raises. <laughs> yeah, realistic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: This is for the this is for the listeners and readers. Uh, Fine woodworking live is coming back. Dun ah. dun, dun. So. Uh, Save the dates for. uh, We will be back on April twenty first through the twenty third of two thousand seventeen. It's going to be in Massachusetts. I don't want to reveal the place yet because all the paperwork has not yet been signed. But um, we are ninety nine percent a go, so we're going to start. Putting together the program, um, it's going to be fun. It's it's at a hotel and conference center, so it'll be pretty a nice much one. All and yes, it'll be yeah. all inclusive. No more dormitories uh, or sweatshops. It's going to be a pretty uh, pretty nice place. So I thought it was going to except... be at a
2: guy named Murray's house. <laughs> <laughs> he was outside of Boston
0: in Dedham. Dedham? <laughs> that? Dedham? Dedham. Oh, Dedham. Dedham. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's how you pronounce it. <clears throat> with that in mind, keep an eye out for uh, the web for uh, on the web on the web for info about uh, the event as we start uh, updating it and getting the, all the packages together. Like I said, I think it's going
1: to be pretty cool and fun. It's so. it's just awesome that we can talk about it now. It is. <laughs> <'Cause> I've <laughs> yeah, I've actually I, had people ask me. It's like I don't know. Eh, well,
0: we're working on something. It might <laughs> happen. Oh, it's,
2: I'm excited that it's coming back because the first two were
0: awesome. Uh, they were. I mean, despite uh, shortcomings of the location and the venue itself, um, I think the the I didn't I didn't make the first one. I was away, but I, I was involved in the second one, and people loved it. Yeah, they were yeah. fantastic. A lot of fun. I'm looking forward to it. So, and the difference is for for this new one, you know, you're not going to have to drive uh, to go yeah. see go to it. Everything's going to be right there. Hotel, yeah. hotel, bar classes mm-hmm. pool, Glasses, pool bar. tables and in this, <laughs> this meal pl- vendors vendors <laughs> bar. bar. bars but this place also has a great uh, gym setup um, it's really it's really <sighs> so that's, a wonderful that's Keith's spot. Me
2: really nice stuff. I like. Yeah. Nothing like more than working out with people I don't know. We're gonna, uh, well,
0: no, there's a there's a basketball court, so we can get a little, you know, two on two. Uh, yeah, know. that'll be really or good. Or four on four. I can imagine Editors middle-aged versus. woodworkers are really good at basketball. <laughs> hey, well they do have a CPR uh, machine right in the gym. So it, Yeah, yeah. Uh, Fair staff. That'd <laughs> be great. Break class in case of emergency. Um, let's get to our first question. Uh, I'm this, uh, this one comes from, uh, boy, I didn't write the guy's name down. (laughs) You take one episode off and it just really falls apart. You know, jet (laughs) lag. Anyway, uh, this gentleman says, I'm considering adding an insulated floor to my garage workshop, similar to what Mike did, but I need to be able to drive and park a car on one side of the garage. Is the design that Mike used, plywood over pressure-treated sleepers and rigid foam insulation, strong enough to support a vehicle? Do you have any ideas for how to create a garage floor that can be driven on but still has insulation value and would be more comfortable to walk and work on than the bare concrete slab? Now, for this answer... You know, since we're pretty much incompetent in this arena, we reached, <laughs> to, we reached out to someone who actually knows what they're talking about. Um, Patrick McComb, uh, our, one of our colleagues at Fine Home Building, he's an associate editor. Uh, and Patrick started at woodworking, right? That's true. I did. I washed out. He, out. he was <laughs> no, here for you, one. He washed, washed or? up, <laughs> or washed over. Um, so Patrick is here to to give. Uh, we're going to get the the answer straight from the horse's mouth. Well, it's so good to, to be speak. here.
3: Um, I had asked my boss if I could, you know, be on the show this morning. He said only if I plugged. Our fine home oh. building podcast, so I'm just going to get that out of the way. We
1: plugged you last time. That's cool. But well, you know it's just going to get it's... edited
3: out, so free to appreciate whatever you want. Just
1: bunk, bong, bong? Yeah. So to
3: answer this uh, gentleman's question, uh, theoretically, this is possible. The materials are all uh, – can be strong enough to support the weight of a car, but – if you go to your uh, IRC, the International Residential Code, which uh, governs most people's building practices in uh, you know, a residential setting, uh, the answer is no because garage floors have to be all non-combustible materials. So if you're talking about plywood or any kind of wood material, foam insulation, those don't fit the bill. So that's not going to work. Um, if so, he, go ahead.
2: Does that mean – so if I have a, sh- a garage and I want to use it exclusively as a shop – Can I not do that kind of floor?
3: Well, it would be best to um, make it so you couldn't park in there, right? That might mean just bolting your garage door closed or removing it. Mm -hmm. Um, The specifics of that, you'd want to talk to your local inspector about what they would expect you to do. But I'm sure one of those
1: pillars like that in front of 7-Eleven? Yeah, if
3: you made it so you couldn't park (laughs) a car in there, um, that would probably be fine. Yeah. And by you can't fill it up and say you can't park in it, right? right. <laughs> so it has to yeah. be really made so you can't get a car inside. Right.
2: Huh. So w- uh, what, what can you do if you're going to what, – what, what should he do if he wants to insulate the floor?
3: Well, he's either going to have to make his garage inaccessible for a vehicle, and uh, I would tell him to consider that seriously because cars are waterproof and park outside. Maybe the missus is not uh, in favor of that strategy, <laughs> but um, – <laughs> You know, those mats are great, and that would satisfy the code. It wouldn't be a fire hazard. Um, someone asked me, could you insulate part of the floor uh, and leave the part uh, uninsulated where the car would park? Uh, no. <laughs> Two reasons. One, it wouldn't be effective if you had that cold spot. Right. Um, and secondly, you're still going to have those materials in the garage space, which is not allowed. What if you're plan- It's good to keep oh, so, in mind. So, if so you're-
1: not even where... Where you are where not parking. So if you have a two bay garage and you make one bay inaccessible to a car, you can't have anything flammable on the floor. That's correct. All told, that's correct.
0: Wow. Would, would would it? Um, what if he closed off one wall? I mean, if he that had kind would be of a remodeled. potential s-
3: a solution? Because once again, you're creating a space that's not su- suitable for a car to park in. So if you could do that, then that would probably be fine. Once now, again, you're going to want to talk to your inspector because that's up to them. Yes. They have a lot of uh, leeway in interpreting the rules.
0: Yes, I, and, and codes vary from, you know, sometimes greatly from county to county, town to town.
1: I actually have, you know, I re- we just moved in and I have a small three-bay garage, we'll say. And uh, we're planning on walling off one bay for my wife to park in because somebody's gotten it in her head that it will be convenient to park in there. <laughs> and, um... So I would need to actually make that a full wall, Mm -hmm. then insulate the floor Mm -hmm. in the workshop side. Um, Or can I just get a note from you saying that my wife can't park in that side? (laughs) I'll give you a note like that. I don't don't think that'll work for you.
3: Sorry um, Patrick says there, we not you know can't. There, there might be other reasons that one shouldn't park in that particular garage, you know, structural considerations or tightness or you know what have you you might want to think about and possibly yeah. Um, yeah. you know
1: it it is a tight bay for her car, which is a tiny car too so
2: so all right, so we get the official answer from Patrick,
3: so here's something else to think about like if you're planning to build a shop. You should insulate under the concrete before it's poured. It's going to cost a few hundred dollars, even if you don't want to heat the space later on. It's going to be ready for you. It's going to be an amenity if you want to sell the place. That the you know the space could be heated or cooled quite easily. Mm-hmm. How do you
1: do that with rigid foam again? Yeah, rigid foam Just insulation. Two
3: or well, it depends on where you live. I would say two inches is, is a minimum, at least up here in New England. Um, more would be better in New England. It depends on where you live.
0: Yeah, you've got to talk to your contractor. And, what, and, and
3: mm. those rules are specified in the, in the IRC as well. The, uh, you know, sub-slab insulation is what that's described as. And it's so easy to do it before you pour the concrete. It's virtually impossible. Well, it <laughs> is impossible. Well, you're going to have to break it up and <laughs> put it down and then pour it again. So I wouldn't want to do that.
2: Okay. Is that in, uh, so you know, I'm from Florida where slab construction is mainstream. mainstream. It's all that pretty much anyone does mm-hmm. uh, unless you're doing a pool. And then it's, you know, that's the only reason they (laughs) dig a hole in Florida. Um, And much of the country is like graves. Yeah. Yeah. For graves. Yeah. Um, Thanks, Tom, for getting morbid. Um, (laughs) Bringing it down. (laughs) So up here, I know that in in New England, uh, most homes have uh, basements. So Mm -hmm. slab construction isn't very common. Uh, but if you so if I'm just building a shop out in my in my yard out in the in the back forty and I'm going to do slab construction and I want to insulate it does that all have to be below the frost line or so are you or is it only the the footings
3: that have the to The footings be? that support the walls are customarily below, below the frost yeah. line. The slab doesn't have, have to, to be. be. Um, there are ways that you don't need frost walls, but it's a little complicated to discuss. It's called a shallow frost protected foundation and it uses insulation. So you don't have to go as deep or a tree house. Um. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <What>? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Well, I uh, actually, uh, this is, uh, I find this interesting. But I'll talk about it to you later. So I'm, the, I'm sure. the, the thing house. is, um, you yeah. know, you
3: want, the, you want to put that insulation down before you put the concrete and then you want to put polyethylene sheet, plastic, six mil poly on top of that. And that's your vapor retarder. And if you do those two steps, you're going to have a much more comfortable shop, even if you don't condition it because, Mm. um, you know, in many climates, the garage slab is going to be the coldest thing in the room, right? It's because it's in contact with the ground, which is pretty much the same temperature year round. Right. right So if you're in a hot humid place, you're going to have condensation on that concrete slab. But if you, if you have insulation under it, it's going to be the air temperature, not the soil temperature. So you're, you're immediately uh, reducing the likelihood of having rust on your tools and especially machine bases, you know, Um, and the, the polyethylene, the sheet plastic prevents um, water vapor, which the soil has a lot of moisture in it. And it always wants to move to a place where there's less moisture, right? Which would be your garage shop. So if you put that plastic under the slab, you can stop a lot of that vapor drive as we describe it in the, building nerd community
2: well and, and in star trek right they had they <laughs> <have paper laughs> <drive. laughs> yes.
1: so so uh retrofitting though what is the best course of action the way that mike did it where he's got sleepers down we're with...
3: assuming that this is a shop only and yes. not we're not going to park a car in there so right. if we do that we want to still have a vapor retarder right uh, a good way to do that is sheet plastic if you tape the seams and try not to put a bunch of holes in it mm-hmm. Um, The other thing you could do is paint the slab before putting down your sleepers and insulation, and that's going to do a similar uh, function in stopping vapor drive. Latex paints work better. Than oil based paints because they do allow a little vapor transmission. So it's less likely that water vapor would force off the paint in big pieces. Oh, okay. Which would happen with, you know, that's common with like really thick paints people like to use in shops, like epoxies and stuff like that, because they're so vapor impermeable.
0: Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, thanks. Uh- for the great info, yeah. I hope I think, uh, uh,
3: he enjoys his shop, and I hope his wife learns to uh, accept the car is outside. Yeah. Maybe a carport or one can't of those you know, like little tent things you could put up over the car. Those tent well, things are really starting to look classy. Yeah, they're really they, classy. They, and they, they're
0: everywhere. So yeah, I think I think your boss is knocking on the window. You can with, <laughs> you can, you
3: can,
2: you can, <laughs> you can get with gold on them now, like gold, you know. And then like the doors, gold they look like, look like barn doors when they close them. They look really nice.
3: <laughs> I saw something really cool I for your audience <laughs> recently, which is a um, a garage door that's a Big screen. I don't know. You guys should look oh, yeah, at that. Yeah. It looks yeah.
2: really cool. Yeah, cool. I was being tremendously sarcastic about the.
3: I was being you know, serious things. about the screen. The screen door. That. Yeah, cool. cool. that is cool. That yeah.
2: yeah. is cool. But the 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 tents that you put your car under. I have one of those. Cool. I bet you can get. Gee, no, you don't. <laughs> 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 hey, thanks, uh, thanks. That was again. my pleasure.
3: Anytime.
0: Yeah. Peace out.
2: Yeah. All see man. you guys later. Thanks, yeah, Patrick. See you, Patrick.
0: Well, that was great info from Mr. McComb. Let's get to question number two. This one comes from Michael, and Michael writes, After nudging my bandsaw fence a little too close to the blade, I managed to come into contact with the blade and scored a kerf line on the fence. Work pieces now catch slightly on this groove whenever I'm pushing through a cut. My fence is extruded aluminum. Is there anything I can do to get this groove out and return it to flat without having to visit a machinist? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Definitely. But
2: before we tell him how to do this, I think we should actually say something else. Yeah. Here don't, don't we go. <laughs> <laughs> Michael, right? Which is, it's probably really Mike Pekovic. He probably sent this in. Mike. That's
1: why he's not here This week, <laughs> <speech laughs> He took the whole week off. He got a teaching game <laughs> right. as, a,
2: as a cover. So, Michael, you should not have a kerf in your bandsaw fence because you should not be adjusting your bandsaw fence well, with on. the bandsaw yes. on. So... Safety In the future, first.
0: don't do that. Hey, wood, woodworking is inherently dangerous.
1: Yes, and it's <laughs> even more so
0: when you do
2: things like that. I love li- that line. Uh, yeah, aluminum is very soft uh, as far as metals go. Mm-hmm. So you could uh, – I think you, you want to first do as little harm as possible uh, and when you try to correct it. So I would just try to deburr it. Just run – get a sanding block and some fine-grit sandpaper and just run a few times over the length of the fence and see – just get the burr knocked down. Yeah. And uh, then you should be fine. Unless it's a really huge gouge, your wood should just uh, slide right over a a small kerf of
1: the sort that a bandsaw blade would probably put in the fence. Especially adjusting it parallel to the plate, so it can't be much of a gouge. Yeah, yeah should, I, I'd yeah. imagine yeah. that
0: it's not that bad.
1: But, but um, if it is much of a gouge, I would maybe fill it with some epoxy putty and you then could, sand yeah. that down. Yeah. So yeah, you could do so that. that. Yeah. your flush. Could also put an
0: auxiliary fence on it, like an MDF yep. fence.
2: Yeah, that's what I, in fact, I was, that's I, what it, he should do is <laughs> if he insists on adjusting the fence with the table, <laughs> with the blade running, then yeah, put an auxiliary fence on. And then the next time you cut into it, you can just chuck it and replace it with another one, mm-hmm. you know, but again, don't adjust your fence with the saw running. Yeah. Turn it off. He probably knows that already. He's probably learned that by now, but yeah.
0: yeah. All right. Well, let's get to the next question. This one comes from Cameron and Cameron says, I'm looking to buy my first set of chisels as well as sharpening stones and honing guide. What would you recommend buying in terms of sharpening stones and flattener, diamond flattener? I want to buy a good set of stones, but I don't think I can afford all at one time. If I have to buy two stones, what grits should I buy first? 1,000, 4,000, 8,000. Also, should I try to buy the diamond flattener at the same time as the first two stones?
2: Getting into sharpening can—I mean, getting it's into expensive. any woodworking is expensive. But it's expensive. Sharpening yeah. is expensive. It yeah. can be, it, yeah. but
1: it is going to affect every tool in your arsenal. Yes. So it's—it's it's probably the thing that it makes the
2: most sense to spend money on initially. Yeah.
0: It's one of the first hand tools you buy, really.
1: Right. And well, so, it's, it's probably the one of the last hand tools most people buy, it, and then they regret it as soon as they—they they regret waiting, as like such as me. I—I mm-hmm. I just dropped a bunch of money on a set of stones and a flattener and everything. It was just.
0: Why did I wait so long? Yeah, we and don't know. I mean, as soon as I bought a, my my mind. first hand <laughs> plane, I bought a set of sharpening stones.
1: Yeah. So,
0: yeah, um But I bought. I mean, the I find the Norton uh, combo stones are a pretty good value if you're starting out. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to. I, I do want to. After using some of the sharpening stones, I do want to kind of upgrade at some point, but um, they're relatively inexpensive and you can buy the flattener that comes with it. Yeah, it's not a com- good starting point. It's not a bad starting point. The Nortons. Yeah, yeah you sure can get that, a
2: Norton yeah. combo set for probably $100, $125 bucks and you yeah. get the 1000 4000 8000 stones. You can get the Norton flattening
1: stone, however... Wait, 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 wait. You're buying for... A little over 100, 140, to, I think, think you're just right. Saying, yeah, yeah. I, for, I think that's what I paid. for. One thousand, four thousand, and eight thousand. 1,000, 4,000, and
0: 8,000? No, well, the it's 1, it was 200,
1: 200 1,000,
2: 4,000. Okay, 8, all right. Cool. You can do that. Never use the 200 grit. I never use it. Because you're too soft. It, yeah. uh, in the Norton flattening stone thing they sell, I would past that based on personal experience and get a diamond plate like he wants to
0: i I did upgrade i i bought that that flattening plate and 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 i think it worked fine but when i had a chance to get the diamond flattening plate i did it
2: yeah the the but this guy said he wanted shapton stones right um no he he said i think that was his
0: dream yeah Yeah.
2: Uh, well so if you know i now always encourage people it To save the money and buy what you want and buy the good thing first. Don't spend money on the cheap thing because it's what you can afford because you're just going to replace it and it'll end up costing you
1: more money. So if I – This is his first set of chisels. So he's, he's pretty new to the craft. I get it. Yeah, and dropping five hundred dollars on a set of stones and a sharpening—you don't
2: have to bit. drop five hundred dollars on a set of stones. That's—I mean—I no. don't know where you bought your stones. Was it you know on the street corner in New York City? <laughs> I got it I from mean, Mike. You got from Mike. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That explains it. Um,
0: That's why Mike is on vacation. Yeah, Mike's. Yeah, <laughs> took all the money he He's made a lot selling of his yeah. sharpening stones and
2: went to Paris. Um, you can get two sharpening stones and a flattening plate. Listen, I bought for approximately 300 bucks. Mm -hmm. Uh, I bought a uh, 1,000 grit stone, a 6,000 grit stone, a a 13,000 grit stone. Mm -hmm. It came with a diamond stone. It came with a little sharpening pond to put them Mm -hmm. in. It came with a little squeeze bottle to put water in. And it came from Japan. So it was in right now, if the yen was was just going down to the dollar, so it was getting even like down around 250 for that set. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, that's not a lot of money to
1: invest in a sharpening – a really good sharpening setup. I totally agree. I totally agree that that's a great amount of money for a great set. But But that is a lot of money.
0: Yeah. Yeah, But you're going to spend it. I mean I don't think there's any way – Around it, you know, like Matt said, you don't necessarily want to go too cheap. And I, and I bought that starter set for, you know, I think it was around $140. I, I yeah, it. I had them too. And now I'm looking to get something different. So Well, it's not that you know, I, 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 the,
2: the 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 Nortons are good stones, but I, I just found that they did not do as well with A2 as they did with mm-hmm. O1. And <laughs> most of my tools are A2. Yeah. And uh, that's why I ended up moving away from them. But you, Norton's a good place fine, to start. Yeah. And you can mm-hmm. use them and kill them. And yep. when they're dead, you know, you, then you can go out and get something else. So Norton would be a fine place to start. Yeah,
0: I'm. I'm just looking to upgrade more because I don't. I, I get tired of the the soaking of the yeah. stones. I, I want to when yeah, I need Norton's to sharpen one. That's really just an inconvenience. which it, right. exactly. is worth it's saving a, It's money, not performance you know? related. Modern, yeah, modern
2: ceramic stones, like Shapton glass stones, are these. Uh, Sigma Power Select stones that I have do not need to be soaked. Yeah, they just get spritzed with water. Um, but you, if I were to get two stones, like he asked, uh, there's a very, there's actually a very common way of not a common. There's a common thought of uh, it is common, I guess, uh, approach to sharpening, which is you only have two stones. Mm-hmm. You have like a thousand and an eight thousand, mm-hmm. and you skip the medium. Uh,
1: so that's you could start. That just going to spend a little bit more time on the eight thousand. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Um, I, back in the day, I got the 1000 combo stone and used honing compound. But to do it again, I think I'd get the one thousand eight thousand. Right. Yeah. And, and you do want uh, a diamond plate
2: right away. You do want something to – you don't have to get a diamond plate.
1: <clears throat> you know, this guy – You don't have to get the dia flat right away, I would think. There's the dia sharp. Yeah, just a yeah. diamond which, yeah, plate. It's yeah, it's just – you know, it's much – much yeah. more inexpensive. You don't have to get the huge one. You don't have yeah. to get the 10 by 3 like I have I just one
2: got. Uh, that's made by, I think it's called Atama, mm-hmm. and it's from Japan, and I think now Lee Valley sells them, yeah. and they're guaranteed flat to a ridiculous amount, and they do a great job. Mm-hmm. But you could also flatten your waterstones on a piece of granite. Right. And then if you got a piece of granite, you could also do some of your sharpening at the low end with uh,
1: sandpaper and then move to a 4,000, 8,000. I you know, I really even, would recommend the the flattening stone though, just because you have to have a flattening stone. Well, well, but, but to as as opposed to a piece of granite with, with oh, sandpaper, oh. just because it is so messy. Yeah, it can be messy, and you're going to put it off. And the most important thing, especially when using Norton's, to me is keeping them flat because they do not. They they need to be flattened just about every time you use
0: them. Yeah, that's what I, I do that yeah. before I use and them. I flatten if, them.
1: If you make it difficult it's, to flatten them, you're going to find a way to excuse yeah. yourself from. flattening It Doesn't flattening
0: take them. long to flatten the stones. You know, it's it's five minutes of work to do. Yeah. you know both combos for me. But if you have a good
1: stone, yeah. to flatten them with. So
2: it is lamentable that the 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 cost of getting into woodworking is yeah. is tough. And even if you buy used stuff, you know, it's like I always say, you're going to spend money, time, and frustration on every tool that you get. Yeah. And you have to decide which one you want to spend more of. Mm-hmm. So if you buy old used stuff that really has to be worked to get flat so you can use it, et cetera – you know that's what you're gonna. That's what you're gonna end up spending, and or you can spend money to get a new tool that's already in good condition. And the same goes with I think sharpening. It's like you're, yeah, you got to spend money. Yeah. You, you can't shortchange it.
0: Yeah, even on the used tools, you, you want to buy good stuff, and even if there's labor involved, um, you want to minimize. Um, you, the, exactly. Yeah. You want to start off with a good foundation of a tool. Mm-hmm. So, are we done?
3: With that said, let's let's
0: move on to uh, our first segment. It's time for our all-time favorite furniture of all time for Uh, this week. Who wants to hit it first? I don't
1: know. You guys go first. I'm going to go last. Me? All right. Um, I have always loved the trestle table form, but I never found one that I could see having in my house. Um, and, you know, there's that sh- classic shaker trestle table. But uh, in issue 235, Daniel Chafin. Dan Chafin Louisville, Louisville, Kentucky. With beautiful photographs, by
2: the way. And those are amazing photographs.
1: Yeah. But um, a trestle table with modern appeal. This, this table just, it's that classic form. Um, and it's not too out there, but there's just a lot of subtlety to it. Uh, the little tapers on the uh, the radius around the edge and everything—it's
2: very appealing
1: and it's also quite modern. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I just think it's absolutely beautiful. It's 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 one of the first tables that, or it's the only table that I saw that was like, I want to build that exact table. And, and that
0: one of the one of the great things about his table that that Chaffin explained in the article, if I'm remembering the remembering it correctly, was how he creates that um, tapered bevel on yeah. the underside. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's a great technique. Right,
2: yeah. First he uh, cuts the bevel onto the straight side and then he hand planes in a, a subtle arc yeah. into the uh, table edge, which creates this uh, a, a, a bevel of different
1: height. As, as it travels along the edge. It's really fantastic. It's a beautiful table. It's it's And that aspect of it is like that that yeah. topper that just, just drives it home for me. And I actually mm-hmm. use that technique on a side table that I'm working on right now on the aprons mm-hmm. uh, almost as practice for doing yeah. this because uh, I know I'm, I'm going to want to do that when I build this.
2: Yeah, Dan's a great designer. And, you know, I like the double stretcher at the top uh, instead of a single stretcher. Yep. The double stretcher just adds a little more... Uh, Shadow and mm-hmm. light, and a little more interest to it. And
0: and, and I, I, I'm sorry, I didn't, didn't mean to no, interrupt ahead. your thought. I, I, what I really like um, about the stretcher assembly or the post, where you know most folks and probably me included would have the the wider portion on the bottom, and he reverses it in essence, where it's thin at the bottom and and tapers up, tapers to a wider width at the um, at the top. It's kind of a mm-hmm. it's 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 very
1: cool looking my, my only thing is Uh-oh. that bottom stretcher being so close to the ground I live in an old house with old wood floors and uh, I worry about that hitting so I would just probably raise that up half no, an inch or no, something.
2: No, no, don't raise it up. It's just not just, the right table for you. Get it.
1: <laughs> just move on. Move. Get, a, get move. a different house. Your house is not good enough, enough for that time. table. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: Dan, and Dan's a really smart furniture maker. And uh, I always, I shot that article
1: and I shot another one with him. And I love going to Louisville. Yeah, there's, uh, it didn't make it. There's uh, some classic shots, I I feel like, that uh, didn't make it in here. I'll I'll have to... Uh, get them to Jeff for the video. and uh, Classic production. shots? Yeah, yeah, it's it's beautiful shots with a tool, tool cabinet behind them, table. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, that photograph. The back yeah. window, it's beautiful shots. Oh, so. I
0: thought they were something from Matt's hotel visit or something.
1: <laughs> like, I don't <laughs> need, need to see any, any of that. <laughs> it was when I was streaking down
2: <laughs> Churchill Downs. He's not allowed to go back to Google. <laughs> yeah. Could never go back. Banned. Yeah. Oh, that's a good pick. That's a nice table. Thank you.
0: Me?
3: Mm. Yeah. Well sure, I'm sure.
0: I'm kicking it old school today because I um one of the benefits of working at fine woodworking is that you know we have a pretty good a collection of <laughs> Well, and <that's> too. <it. laughs> We've got a big shop. It's awesome. Yeah. But um we have a pretty good collection of furniture that was made in the early days, and one thing that I walk past every day is Tay Frid's three-legged stool. And... That appeared in issue number Seven. 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 (laughs) Big seven. Um it's the the cover that has the loot rose on Mm. it. But uh this is it's really funny because this this stool is really comfortable and it's one of the oddest looking things when I first saw it. I, I didn't necessarily know what to think about it. Think of it. But when you read the article and the article really just focuses on Tay's design process and how he came about it. And, um, there's just some great quotes in the article that, that I just wanted to share during, for his design process. Um, he says, when I started designing my seat, I did not have in mind at all that I wanted to make a three legged stool, but as the design progressed, I did not have any choice. And and (laughs) I just love that, you know, (laughs) he just wanted something comfortable and he didn't know exactly how it was going to, uh, going to turn out, but. One of the great things about and i don 't mean to belabor the article too much, but um, the article for the most part is talking about the design and all you really get to build the the piece is this, this. <laughs> <laughs> and there are some you know essential dimensions on uh, the second page. This is a three page article about making this elaborate stool. Um, I actually have it sitting behind me, but uh, one of the things that really makes it and it's classic Danish modern are the oval shaped legs and stretchers. You know, when you look at them from one angle, they look like they might just be standard round legs. And that's one of the designs that one of the design aspects that Tay changed was in his first mock up. He had turned legs and he just felt he had the height right. He had the comfort right and the seat shape right, but he felt something was off. And then it kind of just dinged him that, oh, you know, I've got to make these ovals and everything Mm -hmm. works out. And it's just beautiful, you know, through joinery, uh, very detailed. And one other aspect of it that I love when I first saw it, is it has this narrow back that's connected to the seat with with dovetails, and I thought when I first saw it, I was like, "Wow, you can use a dovetail joint for a seat back." Um, it's just it's so light and sturdy. If I could reach it, I would pick it up. Oh, look at that! You can reach it. There pick it is. It Show it to everybody.
2: Yeah, that sits uh, up in the entry uh, in the front. Uh, the front reception area at, at taunton doesn't it yeah. yeah yeah
0: yeah and it's something you know it's it sits in the corner and and it just it's i've seen it for so many years that it just doesn't jump out at me anymore but then i realize, wow you know it's a perfect opportunity to uh to, to bring it to the fore.
1: yeah, yeah. It, when we walk by and I go to lunch every now and then i just look it's like that's a legendary piece right there. You and know? It,
0: and it, it is one of, you know, we've had visitors here uh, and I've met people in the lobby and I have to say, this is the piece that I often, when I go down to meet the person, they're looking at this piece or touching it, you know? And it's like, well, I guess they're it's, going,
1: what is that? I mean, what is
0: that? Hit can, the can I, can <laughs> I, <ruler? laughs> leave it, don't, don't leave it, do not touch. So.
2: No, I sit in this chair actually quite a bit. I get on there and sit in it um. <laughs> <laughs> when the lights are off. <laughs> no, I mean, I do get on in it, but I, I have to say it's, it's a, it's a cool looking stool. I do not find it comfortable. No,
1: no. I'm a little too substantial to, to sit in it. I'm worried that I'd break it. No, I don't find it comfortable to sit
0: back on necessarily. So I'm kind of with you there, but I, I, it's a good, it's a comfortable height for me. I mean, being kind of a a short pole, but uh, yeah. Chris
2: Bexford says that shakers made 20 minute chairs because they didn't want people getting comfortable and sitting because they need to be yeah. working and so they made their uh, chairs to really they're not very comfortable past 20 minutes huh. uh and they're not shakers chairs are very straight in the they back. they don't look
1: comfortable yeah no.
2: and this stool i think is sort of along that lines is it comfortable yeah you could sit in it for a little while but i would not want to have i mean there's yeah there's no back to it it's a stool so there wouldn't be a back yeah. we're not but, gonna
1: find this in your cube, but you can, sit, you no. can sit both ways okay. on this one, which is you can turn well, around so when you want to have
2: a rap session with the kids. <laughs> <Exactly>. All <right>. <laughs> <laughs>
0: No, yeah. Anyways, so that's yeah, so it's, it's a beautiful uh, chair, though. That's mine. Stool. Going back to the archives.
2: It's also just fantastic because it's in black and white, and we yeah, all know that, that black and that white too. is inherently better, better than yeah. color.
1: Mm-hmm. It rocks. As so many people told that's, the magazine that's the only <laughs> thing that I would change about Daniel Chafin. It should table, be in black, black and white. Photocopy it. Yeah, there you go. Bada bing.
0: That's
2: right. why he's the editor. All right, so is it my turn? Yep. Get it over with. All right, so I'm going to get grief for this.
0: But, um, uh, not for me.
2: So one, I think one of the things as woodworkers, as furniture makers, we struggle with is when you make something yourself, to look past the mistakes. Oh, no. And see everything that you did right. <sighs> <Yeah>. So... <laughs> My favorite piece of all time this week is, is something, something that I made. Wasn't
0: it? Oh, was God. it Saturday Night Live? I had had that segment, Deep Thoughts.
1: Yes. So, no, that's that's Mike's Instagram feed. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so my favorite piece of all time this week is this little tea cabinet box that I made uh, earlier this year.
1: And it is beautiful.
2: I the reason I'm picking it is cuz I was one being lazy this morning. <laughs> and uh, but two it's something that uh, when I was done with it I looked at it and went, well, I can't say what I said because you'll bleep it out, but I said bonk, bonk, bonk. I, I said holy, <laughs> bloop, you know, how how did I make that? Where did you know, where did that come from? And it was probably the first time ever that I've made something that when I was done, it completely uh, overwhelmed me. That I that that it actually was something that I had produced. So, uh, and there are things that are wrong with it, but I don't see the things that are wrong with it. All I see is what I got right, and I tell that to students all the time that they you know they'll in a five day class and they'll say, oh look at this gap here and look at this gap here, and I'll say, yeah, but look, you made a bow front cabinet. Yeah. With, uh, you know, a curved door and it all goes together and the door closes properly. You know, so that's pretty amazing. So forget yeah, about No me. one's
1: looking at the gappy dovetail. Yeah, on no one's drawer. looking at yeah. the
2: gappy dovetail and you shouldn't either. Yeah. So uh, for me, that's, I kind of, and I've, I've been seeing this piece a lot in my house recently and uh, I'm about to ship it off to the person that bought it. Oh, it stinks. And uh, I have to make another one for another customer. And so I've been thinking about it a lot recently. And, I mean, if I'm being honest, it's my favorite piece of furniture right now. Yeah, Of of all the stuff I've seen, uh, even of Mike's stuff, uh, which most people don't know. Most of Mike's furniture is only quarter scale. (laughs) (laughs) They don't know that.
1: The the thing that that I love about this piece is, especially doing it in the 52 boxes progression, is that you see – this is kind of the culmination this is you see these themes start and work their way throughout and then this is where everything came together yes where I, yeah. your shadow lines the poles the the subtle kumiko the fabric behind the kumiko um, everything the the steps this the different boxes of scale you know everything comes together in this one piece and it was like, bam. Okay, you, that was the period on the end of that sentence. Except you had one more piece after
3: <laughs> <laughs> it. Had one more
2: box after <laughs> one more. I think it. Because it was, was one box more. fifty-one. Yeah, I mean, for me, it was a, it was a, the culmination, and it also though is now the what I can strive to again. You know, it's like it's it, it part of the whole reason I did that whole thing was to push myself forward as a designer, and now. I have a new starting place, mm-hmm. you know. Now, when I when I go back and start designing things again, uh, that's where I'm starting, yeah. you know, as opposed to where I start before. But I don't yeah. know. Sure, is it? Am I being a little self absorbed? Sure, I don't care. Though. You know what? I it's, like. It's, it doesn't matter. It's good to do every well, now and then. It's though.
0: funny because I look at some of the like it, your head. <laughs> some of the first pieces I make, and you know, if you change uh, Matt's the tone of Matt's quote about wow I made that to like wow I made that <laughs> that's how I look <laughs> at some of my earlier pieces like oh yeah. right. that's that pretty much time on that? yeah, it's like right. oh that's a big waste of time but it's funny there are a couple of pieces I, I'm interested in remaking um, just because it was before I really learned the subtleties of wood of, of woodworking and you know in terms of, thicknessing, of thickness of parts and just dimensions so there are a couple of pieces I'd, I'd like to revisit in my spare time That's an awesome box. Yeah,
2: well, you
0: know, anyways.
2: But my my real message is don't be afraid to be proud of your own stuff.
0: Yeah. You know? Sing it loud, sing it proud.
2: That's right. You know, when when you take it in the house and your spouse tells you that it's beautiful, don't point out all the mistakes. Just accept that it's beautiful. (laughs) You know? It's hard. It's hard hard to do. It It is hard to do. It's very hard to take those kind of compliments about your own work, but you should. Because, I mean, if you make something like a table... You know, and it doesn't fall apart. I mean, that's pretty amazing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Because most of us are more or less incompetent boobs. So, <laughs> 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 I don't
0: even know. I'm not, I can't even reply yeah. to that. Uh, let's get back to our list of questions. This one comes from Chris, and he says I recently acquired a nice, huge cortisone sycamore board that I plan to make a couple of bedside tables with. I'd like to maintain the light color of the wood, and in my experience, most finishes turn the wood yellow. Also, when I've worked with sycamore, the finish raised the grain pretty severely, and I had trouble getting a truly smooth surface. Any good tips to achieving good finish results would be great. Hmm. Well, it's hard to prevent yellowing. I think wood is just going to age and change color naturally, Yeah, uh, no matter what finish you use. But I think we were, we, we were talking about this yesterday. We were talking about some of the water-based finishes Mm -hmm. uh, work better at preserving, yeah. Water-based poly would
2: would probably be the best thing to present prevent the ambering that some finishes because you know oil-based finishes can amber a wood immediately. Uh, And you said it's for a tabletop, right? A bedside table. Bedside table. I mean, so you could do uh, like a water-based poly. Mm -hmm. The other thing you do is get super blonde or clear shellac flakes you want you want to use really fresh shellac i think here and uh mix it up yourself and i have found that clear shellac put imparts very little color to wood so you could use that and if you use fresh shellac uh it'll be durable enough
1: uh for a bedside table for sure and easy to refresh if you need And to. easy to
2: refresh and yeah. you know like me if a lot of times i like to have a, a I use an insulated cup of water, and I'll have that on my bedside table at night. Uh, so, if you're going to do that, you know shellac will still be fine, but you might you know use an insulated cup, uh, like a, a tervis, or get a coaster. Yeah. Um, but a turvis cup is fine, and, and really, uh, fresh shellac is very uh, resistant to water. Actually, um,
0: yeah. do, you, do you know what a turvis cup is?
1: No idea.
2: A tervis is a it's a <laughs> company, and they make these oh. really cool. Uh, Insulated cups, and it, I don't know. I've always, I maybe they, I assume they sell them at places like Bed Bath and Beyond, but they're very popular in the South because they're double walled and clear. And, and so they, a lot of times they have
1: roll tie on them. They'll have roll tie, <laughs> roll tie
2: or, You know, I have ones with the you know, Florida Gator logo inside yeah. it, and they, but they also come in, you know, in uh, fashion forward designs. You know, like that my wife buys, but they're great cups, and they really do work. They keep stuff cold. <laughs>
0: Um, that was a good aside. <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> but uh, the other thing he, he asked about was uh, he said he's having trouble getting the surface smooth Yeah, because of the grain. And a lot of finishes will raise the grain. Yeah. Uh, and I guess I don't, I've, I've used quarter and sycamore. I've never noticed it to be a particular hairy or fuzzy wood. But um, you can start with a clear coat of shellac. Uh,
1: then sand after that. And that should get rid of any raised grain problems. Or yeah. you spritz it down with water and raise the grain and then sand it down. But you're going to have yeah. to sand yeah. the grain down.
2: You really it's should be it. sanding anyways after you do your first... Yeah. after Really in between every coat. And that should take care of any yeah. fuzziness.
1: It yeah. really should. Should It not,
0: should not be a problem.
1: It makes me wonder if maybe when he had that problem, if he didn't sand to a high enough grit, Initially, if you stopped at maybe 120 or something like that. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's
2: possible. But if you stand, even if you, like finisher, professional finishers say, they don't say, if you're going to bring me something, make sure you get up to 400. What they want is just, if you bring me something, make sure it has a consistent scratch pattern. Yeah. And they're not really they concerned about... The grit, because they can, Once you start putting on the, <clears throat> excuse me. Once you start putting on the finish, it, it's the finish that becomes the thing that right. you feel. It's the more. working surface. And yeah. so, if the underlying wood's a little rough, it kind of, in a way, goes away once you put enough finish on it. It might be a
0: quarter inch thick, but <laughs> it's funny. One thing that that struck <laughs> twelve <me. laughs> yeah. coats of poly. You do get uh, a lot of people who who write in talking about how to preserve um, the initial color of the wood that they're using, and I I sort of kidding. like the way. The wood yeah, ages. Wood and I, ages. I, I mean, it's really like I made a a small a white oak cabinet with a fold down door with that out of spalted maple, and so um, at first there was a kind of a big contrast between the maple and, and the oak. But now, after a couple years, you know the the maple has aged to like a nice deep yellow and and or. or Kind of not yellow, but kind of a, more of a brownish, and it's right. really melded with the white oak and how that's aged over time. And it, and even with the pieces out of maple that I've built, I kind of like the yellowing aspect of
1: it. I, and that that you're never going to stop wood from changing, right? It's right. always going to look different years from now than it than it did when you started. But if you do like the color of a piece of wood or something like that, and you don't want to add that amber, I, I think water-based poly is the best yeah. way of preserving the actual color. It adds very little character. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times, you know, that amber look is what we consider character in a finish. But if you're really trying to preserve that, that color, water-based poly and keep it inside under a tarp.
2: Yeah, (laughs) don't don't let let the sunlight get on it. Uh, But that's one of the the challenges of designing with wood, using wood, is that you can't think about what does it look like right now.
1: That's hard. You have to think
2: about what what does cherry look like 10 years from now? And so what woods are going to look nice with it 10 years from now? Garrett uh, Hack touched on this in his article from several years ago about using contrasting woods and uh it's one of the things like for example i think it's why people believe that purple heart and maple look good together uh that because you have this cool purple wood next to this really white Mm -hmm. maple but they don't stay i mean purple heart turns brown Brown. and maple starts to uh become sort of a pumpkinish brownish color and it's like they don't look so good together and uh so you have to think about wood in terms of what it's going to look like down the road and not what it looks like right now.
1: Yeah, and that only comes from experience really.
2: Yes,
0: yeah. 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 All right, well, we're uh, kind of running short on time, so we should move on to a brand new segment that we're rolling out this episode. It's time for our all-time favorite fine woodworking article of all time. Oh, for this a week.
2: What Get magazine?
0: Out. Popular <laughs> Mechanics? <laughs> you're, you're fired.
2: <laughs> uh, who wants to kick I, it off? I'm going to start because I went last the other time. Yeah, but you
0: volunteered for that.
2: Yeah, but now I'm volunteering to go first. Right, well, <laughs> rock it out. So one of my favorite, when I, when I interviewed for this job, uh, some, I can't remember how this transpired, but anyways, I showed up and I had in my mind a list of like 10 articles that I really liked. And it worked out well because Asa asked me what my favorite fine woodworking articles were. (laughs) And I can't remember if he told me that I should know that or if I just thought I should know that. Um, And one of them is uh, uh, this article by Chris Bexford from the year 2000. and and which
1: 2000. I'm glad I'm
2: not the only one. (laughs) I love that bit. Uh, But uh, it's hard to believe that was – The year 2000 looked this date dated now because, I mean, it could have easily been the 1980s uh, based on the pictures. But um, it's an article about keeping plank doors flat. And Chris talks about five different strategies on how to make a plank door and keep it flat.
1: I mean, I'm learning something from it right there and just glancing at this, that dovetail Buried, yeah, yeah. The slide, like, it's yeah. like a
2: sliding dovetail batten. Yeah. that's it's yeah. buried into the wood, um, and there one. It's re, there's some really cool things in here that I didn't wouldn't have thought about, like that dovetailed key that slides into the back of the door. Yeah, or cleats on the inside of the door. So you resaw the door apart, uh, route out some uh, dados, and put cleats inside there, and then glue the door back together. Wow yeah it's like these really cool techniques that's crazy talk to uh because i like uh i mean frame and panel looks all right I like frame and panel doors, but to me, when I like a frame and panel door, it makes me think of what I would call period furniture, which is anything made before two thousand <laughs> <laughs> like arts and crafts, shaker furniture mm-hmm. that's all period furniture, and i really modern furniture. At times, a, a framing panel door can look strange. Uh, yeah. When something's really yeah. clean and really minimal, you want to have uh, just a a, a a a plank. And I went to making uh, plywood with shops on veneer doors, and that mm-hmm. was how I got around it. Mm-hmm. But Chris has these fan, five fantastic ways to do it, and it was just—I re- I remember reading this, and I was just like, my mind was blown. Like yeah. yours was blown when you saw that picture. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, but then also I like it because there's a picture of Chris's
0: belt sander, uh, belt sander I love beast,
2: that. which looks like uh, something that you would see, like maybe in like Flash like, Gordon, Flash Gordon, or it's a truck, Rocketeer, it's a locomotive yeah. out of uh, you know Firefly, <laughs> that TV show, uh-huh. or uh, maybe Sin City or something. You know, it's just like this totally crazy, and he's using it to sand these battens down uh flush with the surface. And I can just think now, if you were to run that now, the hissy fit that it would cause, you know,
1: people Oh, I love it when people are not afraid to pull out the belt center. Like Kevin Rodell yeah, in the yeah. in the it's a tool. in his uh last video workshop, it just goes to town with the belt It's just gets no the job apologies. done. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah. But
0: well, it's funny that you brought this up because I went back to this article a few weeks ago because I'm I'm building this cabinet on stand and i i had originally drawn in a frame and panel door and then i thought why and i i realized i remembered that chris i don't think i remembered it was chris as the author but i knew we had done this plank door article i went back to it, and i said you know i can do this so i think i'm going to use the i'm I'm leaning toward the dovetailed key
1: that's Mm -hmm. so cool
0: so and i can use really nice um board like a nice figured board without any kind of frame interruption around it. Mm-hmm. Um I have high hopes.
2: I have to admit now I think that I would not if if I were to do any of these I would do the one where you resaw the plank and you put uh uh cleats inside it. Yeah. and glue it back together, but I actually I have to admit I would probably do a door like this now, because that's how I do it. I would do it with, a, start off with a plywood core mm-hmm. and uh, use shops on veneer mm-hmm. and uh, shops on edge banding and make it that way.
1: Yeah, yeah. I was just at Tim Coleman's and he does a really really nice plywood door with all veneered surfaces and everything. It's just really slick and modern looking, but I do think for the awe factor when you open up that, that door, that dovetailed key is just
2: yeah, yeah, it's a, it, it's, it's a, it's a bit visual interest. interest. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's my first ever... That's a great one. ...all-time favorite article well, of I, all time I this it. It week. Might,
1: it might be horrible when I read it. <laughs>
0: no, it's not horrible.
1: <laughs> it's, it's great.
2: Fine woodworking.
0: Are you kidding me? <laughs> awesome back cover, too, on that issue. That is a great yeah, back cover.
2: Yeah. Um, well, I'll... I'll jump in and I'll try. It's issue 145, by the
0: way. You just said, you know, we just said it was a great back cover. Oh. So we should tell people what issue it was. Issue 145. Good point. Well, mine, uh, my article comes from issue 239 and it's, uh, the article title is uncommon arts and crafts written by John Binson. And this article, <laughs> I just, I just loved it because I, I do like arts and crafts furniture. Um, but it's not my, my specialty or my cup of tea in terms of building. But the, what I loved about this, the approach that this article took is John eliminated like the really familiar names. You green know, and Green. Green and Green. Frank Stickley. Lloyd Wright. And focused on the outliers. <laughs> and what, I mean just on the first spread, I had no idea what the original Morris chair really looked like. And suddenly, I saw it. I was like, "Wow!" It wasn't that wide, you know, white oak, you know, armrest and uh, slatted back. It was this upholstered piece mm-hmm. um, with wheels and really, really funky. <laughs> and then you see kind sort of, kind of an evolution or a different taste take on it. And then the next page, you go into all these, you know, the, like the en- English country arts and crafts, and you get another huge flavor of different forms of arts and crafts pieces and then you think you're done no no we're going off to the asian influence and then um organic carved pieces and then gothic you know bold gothic pieces and maybe you're done nope there's one more <laughs> and then it goes into even more like pennsylvania what he calls pennsylvania gothic and cat seal's colony and it's just this broad um Taste of it and these wonderfully written paragraphs about the evolution of the, the design and a brief picture of the maker. It's um, it's one of the better design articles that, that I think we've done, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, it's in 239. 239. Which also
0: has a great back cover.
1: Danny Camrath. And, and
0: a great front cover. Chris uh, Bexford. Chris Bexford. Mm-hmm. What's, can, uh, what's the back cover?
1: Danny Camrath. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Splash. yeah.
0: Splash. Very cool.
1: Yeah. Yeah. All right, I guess I'm up next. Um, yes. Mine is from. Issue 228. It better not be a Pekovich article. It's not. It's a Schofield article. What? And it is how to fix flaws and mistakes. And I remember reading this the first time, and it kind of – the techniques are really good, but it just kind of cemented the fact that everybody screws up. And this is how you fix it. Yeah. And it's got, you know, um, some – some fixes from Steve Latta. Uh, I think Michael Fortune's in here. But it's just everyone going through like, yeah, this is this is how I fix this problem that I've created. And whether it's something as, uh, you know, putting the groove in the wrong side of a tail or, or in the wrong side of a drawer, I've never done that. But apparently some people do that. But just, you know, just getting dents <laughs> out and... Well, well, well. <laughs> 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 no, I do plenty of others, don't worry. It just... It, <laughs> It's not really just the individual fixes, which are great, but it's just that guys like me, who are you know at times struggling to figure out style and things like that or or a technique, if you miscut a piece of joinery it 's not the end of the world. This is how you fix it. move on don't do it again um it also shows that even the pros make mistakes, yeah, yeah. yeah you know, there's a
0: a follow up to that article as well. I think the, I think it may have been titled fixing joinery mistakes. I think it was more specific. Another great, um, article full of tips on, you know, recovering from miscut joints. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. There's, there's a few in here. Um, and there's stuff that we've talked about on the podcast before, just using a piece of veneer to sham out a drawer that was undercut, things like that. Um, but these are all problems that that everyday woodworkers struggle with. What and, issue was that again? Um, that was in two twenty eight. Oh, an awesome issue. Should we see the back cover? Yeah, it was. on the back. It? Oh, that's also oh. fantastic. Yeah. That's a, yeah. Yes, I remember that You're one. You to
2: show that on the in the video, right?
1: No, we're just gonna
2: talk about it. Yeah. We're never gonna say what it is, but yeah. it's it's a am- it's the most amazing thing ever. Yeah, it actually has it solved. It, it ended in several wars when it came out. It's, it's bigger than life. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I do love that. that, back, that that's another it's a, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's amazing. A, every back cover from Fine Woodworking is amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: there's a clinker every now and then.
2: There was the a no, fish
0: coffin. There's, there's no clinker. The flying corn cobs. All right. Easy.
2: Let, let's <laughs> move on.
0: Let's, uh, John doesn't listen. So <laughs> It's time for some listener and viewer comments, both good and bad. This one comes from James. It would be nice if the podcast was in metric. Imperial kills me every time you talk in that foreign language. And well, I say and so.
1: Just, hello, we, should, governor.
2: we should speak in <laughs> Metro You right. put that in there just to say, hello,
0: Governor. <laughs> I, hello, did. governor. I did. I <laughs> did. Right, right. Tea uh, time, boys. And Jordan chimed in with, listening to this week's Shop Talk Live, I had to stop myself from bursting out loud so many times. You guys nailed it. I don't know what he's talking about, but right. apparently something happened.
2: He said he was listening to a different
0: podcast. <laughs> yeah. He was on the wrong <laughs> dial. Um, Chase points out his all-time favorite Oh, wait, his all-time favorite quote of all time. And he says, uh, if you don't have electricity, you just get yourself a cross saw and a hipster, and you can do all the work you want to and a case of PBR. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> I might have to carve that into some crotchety maple and put it on the wall of my shop. And I, I'm thinking, should be
2: spurtled I think, maple. I think <laughs> Matt said that, right? <laughs> I did say yeah, it. That the last, that was the last, say last that. one. Cross cut yeah. saw. Yeah. I, I no, a,
1: no, you said cross saw. Oh, I did. Yeah, 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 I, I was, was, you yeah. spoke. I I was, I was listening to that yeah, Uh, the wilds of montana (laughs) (laughs) all right
0: uh and on that note we'll wrap up this episode of shop talk live tune in again in two weeks on august 5th for our next episode while you're eagerly awaiting our next show remember to visit finewoodworking.com to keep up with the tool giveaway for our 40th anniversary the current prize is an 18 volt drill driver kit from rigid tools to win it you must enter by July 25th. To enter, go to findwoodworking.com slash 40 sweeps. That's number 40. You can catch the podcast via iTunes. You can also stream each program on the web at shoptalklive.com or catch us on iHeartRadio. Finally, keep up with Fine Woodworking on Instagram and on Facebook and look for all of us on Instagram as well. Thanks for listening and have fun in the shop. It's goat boy.
2: <laughs> go kiss a goat. <laughs> go,
0: go kiss a goat Frank.